This is Scott Becker with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. Thrilled today to be joined by a very special guest. I'm joined today by Molly Gamble. Molly is in charge of all editorial operations at Becker's Healthcare. We've the editorial team is really the crown jewel of Becker's Healthcare. Molly runs the entire thing. She's the uh, you know really the editor in chief, vice president of all of all editorial, but she really runs the entire editorial team with 25 uh, writers. We're going to talk to Molly today about what are the three core trends or so that she's following in healthcare today. We're going to ask her a little, ask her a little bit of advice about how she leads a team of 20 to 25 people every day. Molly, do you want to take a moment and, and tell us what are a couple of the trends you're following most closely in healthcare today? Yeah, thanks for having me, Scott. So I think when I had to condense down to three trends, I think number one is the labor shortages in healthcare. You're seeing those affect healthcare acutely. Um, you've got people leaving the field completely due to exhaustion and COVID-19 related burnout. What's interesting is a survey found about 30% of people and healthcare workers as physicians, nurses, other workers want to or have considered leaving. And then of those 30%, the younger the cohort, the higher the percentage of people who reported feeling burnt out. So people 65 and older, 27% reported feeling burnt out. You move to 30 to 39, 61%. So it really varies by age and you're seeing some discrepancies and differences there, um, which we'll probably talk in more, more detail about. So that's definitely one of them. I think related to that, it's been interesting to watch how systems roll out decisions about mandatory vaccinations for employees, given the delicate nature of the labor market and, and shortages. So I think seeing how systems navigate those decisions has been really interesting from a journalistic perspective. And also, I think ransomware, it's been with us for several years as far as seeing small attacks on smaller hospitals in 2016. Now you're seeing that these groups have kind of gotten more sophisticated, more savvy. They're starting to scale up and attack larger organizations more intensely and demand larger and larger ransoms. So I think that's been interesting to cover as well. And then finally, just COVID-19's long-term effects and where those will fit in in the healthcare system, um, primary care, the demands those patients will place on the system. That's something we're learning a lot more about each day, and it's been really interesting to cover. Fascinating. So really four core issues we're we're talking about here, Um, Mm -hmm. labor and burnout issues and resiliency issues, and fascinating to understand that the, sometimes it's the younger cohorts of employees that are more burnt out and, and less enthused about this for the longer run, or maybe took more of the burden to this, or just for whatever reason, whatever the behavioral reasons are, are more burnt out than some of their older workers. That's really a fascinating mm-hmm. study and, and troubling, quite frankly, because those younger workers in mid-career are the ones that health systems rely on for a very long time to come. Um, second, you talked about mandatory vaccine policies. I know Houston Methodist is one of the few with the mandatory vaccine policy and a federal judge recently upheld their decision to use that mandatory vaccine policy. I think out of 26,000 employees, just a a couple hundred have not been vaccinated. They do have some exceptions and and exemptions for vaccinations, but but really also a fascinating subject in that, you know, workplaces, employers more or less would like more people vaccinated because there's less chance of more spread of things and variants and so forth. At the same time, people very much respect the right to privacy and individual's rights to get vaccinated or not vaccinated. It's interesting that only a couple of health systems have implemented a total mandatory vaccine policy. Fascinating set of issues. Um, ransomware. Uh, I mean, really scary, isn't it? Because it really could shut down mm-hmm. an entire health system, and you mm-hmm. see big, big prestigious health systems being attacked. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I was just going to they're they're kind of the perfect institutions for ransomware attacks, hospitals, because they uh, they are inclined if they're, if they're disabled, like you said, those are pretty high stakes disruptions. They provide critical care. So um, they also rely on really up-to-date information and patient records. So you see these attackers know that by going into a health system, all of those records are going to be really up-to-date. They're going to have current and relevant information. So the, the value of that information is greater. But, um, you know, I use, I use ideal target in quotes because obviously that's not something we would, of course, endorse clearly, but I think you see how scary it is if you are running a hospital or health system, the incentive to place a ransomware attack in your organization from their side is so much greater than perhaps one that, you know, Colonial Pipeline, of course, that's infrastructure, JBS, that's neat. Those, of course, cause disruptions. But when you are unable to see someone's medication history um, and you can't inform how you're going to treat them within the next hour, I mean, that right there is a, a, a much more critical um, impairment of abilities than I think some of these other businesses. No, just fascinating. We, we did see a public utility recently. It was a huge ransomware discussion on the East Coast. And it, and it certainly is just, it's scary to see how much these ransomwares and hackers can impact our, our world. Um, and then you talked a little bit about COVID-19 and long haulers and the long-term treatment and having to take care of such people. Let's just hope we don't have this major mm -hmm. resurgence of COVID-19. But this long-term issue is a very serious issue, too, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've seen studies where between two-thirds um, of non-hospitalized COVID-19 patients had at least one outpatient visit that resulted in a new diagnosis within six months of being diagnosed with the virus. So those new diagnoses were things like cough, shortness of breath, um, chest or throat pain, so things that um, aren't acute illnesses. But I think there you also saw of that group, about 38% of people needed care from a specialist. So that's, a, you know, cardiology, a pulmonology, mental health, um, among others. And I know the CDC recently released some guidance about how to treat long COVID. They're saying that most of the repercussions from this virus can be treated by primary care doctors. Um, we ran another study that this past week that found 23% of people who had COVID still have at least one condition. So, um, it's interesting because I think based on those numbers, you're looking at anywhere from seven and a half to 21 and a half million people who will still have health effects from this virus. And just by comparison, you know, 1.8 million are diagnosed with cancer each year. So it, it's, it's yet to be determined how this will play out in terms of the demand on the health system, but that's a lot of people. It, it really is. And those are fascinating stats, quite frankly, that that many people have some kind of long haul syndrome or challenges. Talk for a moment, Molly, about leadership. You had a team of 20, 25 people. You became in charge of everything probably seven, eight years ago. Talk a bit about what it's like to be leaders, some advice you have for other leaders, and, and the challenge and the excitement of managing people. Sure. Yeah, I think leading a team through this past 18 months, I'm sure like any leader, it's been, um, I would say, very fulfilling at the end of the day. So I think if I think about emerging leaders, um, probably my biggest piece of advice would be to to lead when no one is looking. I think one of the biggest misconceptions about leadership is that you will be handed an invitation to do it. Um, authentic leadership presence, I think, is the result of all the small choices you make that aren't, aren't always highly visible. So, you know, are you inclusive? Do you walk up to the person alone at a professional gathering and, and get to know them and make them feel included? Uh, do you share credit? Do the majority of your thoughts and ideas come down to me or we? 
Are you voicing ideas for how to get better and improve? Or are you just kind of hoarding your opinions and keeping them to yourself? I think all these little choices that you make every day slowly but surely add up to leadership presence. Um, but the thing is, it's not that you're always be asked. It's not always high, highly visible, um, but it still comes down to leading when no one's looking. I think also the world is a better place with many different types of leaders in it. I think like the past year has placed new emphasis on diversity, inclusion, equity, of course, but I'm even talking like communication style or leadership style. You know, we need you as a leader, not the prototype you think you need to mimic or become. Um, I, I think it's better for organizations when they see a, a number of different types of leadership and communication styles and flavors. So I think that's one thing too I would, I would champion. And then finally, and this has really been true this past year as when we've had so many ups and downs as to what, take the long view and then everything just comes back to what are you building that will last? You know, progress isn't always a straight line. There's going to be challenges. There's going to be frustrations. But as long as you're focused on what are you building that will last and go beyond you and remain after you're gone, um, I think that's always been really helpful for me to keep in mind and it's not easy, you know, when you have a long to-do list and you've got a lot of demanding your attention to think that way, but it's important to try to keep it front and center as much as you can. But I think, Molly, it's, it's, there's, there's three or four great, great points in there that you mentioned. One is this concept of being authentically a leader, being yourself as a leader. You don't have to look like somebody else's leader. You don't have to act like somebody else's leader. You have to have a leadership style that works for you, and I love that concept. Another thing that you said that I that I just love is leadership is not big speeches and it's not big pronouncements. It's the everyday things that you do as a leader to help strengthen your people, uh, help your people, make the organization better, and, and fit into sort of longer term goals or bigger goals. But it's every single little thing. It's not necessarily the big big things. Big pronouncements are a dime a dozen. Those constant motions, those constant actions that are so impactful, those constantly trying to help, to coach, to encourage, to hold people accountable, whatever they are. It, it just mm -hmm. is, I think those are so impactful. And I love that perspective that it's not any one big thing. It's the constancy of leadership and, and both making sure the job is getting done, but people are getting taken care of and inspired and seeing what the long-term looks like and, and keeping that vision on. Here's what one is trying to be. Uh, mm -hmm. Molly, I love your thoughts. I love your leadership. I want to thank you for taking the time to talk to us today on the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. Obviously, you're the leader of the editorial team, so, so no better perspective. I, I appreciate you joining us and everything that you do so, so much. Uh, thank you, Molly Gamble. Well, thank you, Scott Becker. It's a pleasure.